0: Howdy, and welcome to another action-packed episode of the Six Gun Justice Podcast, where we celebrate the blazing six gun action of the Western genre in books, movies, TV, and any other media at home on the range. I'm your host, Paul Bishop. With me today are two accomplished Western wordslingers, Bill Markley and Kellen Cutsforth, who can't seem to agree on anything. If there is controversy regarding any historic Western personality, incident, or legend, you'll almost always find these two taking opposing views and getting to throw down words in a high noon showdown. (laughs) History has fascinated Bill Markley since his childhood on the family farm near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Moving to Pierre, South Dakota in 1976, where he immersed himself in local history and participating in Civil War and Western Frontier reenacting. Markley has been in films such as Dances with Wolves, Son of Morningstar, Far and Away, Gettysburg, and Crazy Horse. He has worked in Antarctica, traveled to the South Pacific, kayaked and backpacked in Alaska, and has camped, hiked, and ridden on horseback throughout the West. Among other books, Bill has written three unique joint biographies. Wild Earp and Bat Masterson, Lawmen of the Legendary West, which compares the lives of the two great lawmen from the point of view of which one did the most to tame the frontier, Billy the Kid and Jesse James, Outlaws of the Legendary West, is the second in the series, examining which outlaw was the best at lawbreaking. And his latest book in the series, Geronimo and Sitting Bull, Leaders of the Legendary West, chronicles the lives of these two revered Native American leaders. Kellen Cutsforth is the author of Buffalo Bill, Boozers, Brothels, and Bare Knuckle Brawlers, an Englishman's Journal of Adventure in America. He has ghostwritten several best-selling books for multiple authors. He has had numerous articles featured in such publications as Wild West, True West, and he writes a bi monthly column in the Western Writers of America Roundup magazine under the title Techno Savvy. An active member of the Western Writers of America, Kellen is also a veteran speaker presenting multiple programs for numerous history <coughs> groups, libraries, and genealogical organizations. When these two scholars end up in the same saloon, it quickly becomes clear history isn't big enough for both of them. The highly entertaining result is the brilliantly presented Old West Showdown, two authors wrangle over the truth about the mythic Old West, and its sequel, Standoff at High Noon, in which these dueling authors draw down on fact and folklore to present opposing viewpoints of the controversies surrounding some of the most well-known characters and events in the history of the Wild West. Hey guys, thanks for being here with me today. Hey, good to be here. So before our listeners get the wrong idea, your relationship isn't some kind of Hatfields and McCoy feud, is it? Uh, Well
1: well, sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're good friends who delight in taking contrary sides when it comes to Western history, right? Yeah, yeah, we're
1: yeah. We've been friends for quite some time attending Western Writers of America conferences together.
0: Is that where you met?
1: Yes. I think it was through Chris Entz that we really knew one another because we also did an author's posse get-together thing where we traveled around and went to different places speaking and selling books and stuff. And Bill and I were involved in that, and that's been several years now.
0: Chris Entz is responsible for a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How did the idea of bringing these opposing views into a book come together?
2: As Kellen said, we are uh, part of her author posse that she put together. On one of those excursions, Chris and I and my wife were driving across Nebraska for hours and hours. And Chris and I started talking about Old West topics, and we got on to Cattle Kate, who was hanged in Wyoming for allegedly rustling cattle. Chris and I went back and forth. She said Cattle Kate was rustling, and that's why she was hanged. And I said, no, she was hanged because the large livestock operators wanted access to her water rights. And we went back and forth, and there must have been a common light bulb that went over top of our head saying, hey, wouldn't this be a great idea for a book? Arguing back and forth controversial stories from the Old West. Long story short, Chris was not able to do that. I looked around, and Kellen stood up to the plate to do this. Chris was intimately involved in the start of this. Kel and I put together the 10 topics that we wanted to do in uh, Old West Showdown. That's how we got our start.
0: Yeah, Chris is wonderful. I have her on the podcast quite often to talk about wild women of the West. And all I have to do is say Calamity Jane and the next 30 minutes she tells me all about it. So it's really easy for me. I'm fascinated by this idea because Rich Prosh and I have explored many historical Western personalities on the podcast, and there always seems to be at least two sides to their stories. The fascinating thing for us is when these bad guys like Jesse James and Billy the Kid get put forth as folk heroes. That type of societal thing that goes on with these characters is really interesting to us. And is that what you exploit when you're doing this? Is that what you look for, those types of controversies?
1: I would say, yeah, especially when it comes to guys like Jesse James and those sort of guys. And they have these, were they villains? Were they good guys? I always say, we're Americans. All our heroes are outlaws and gangsters. And those are the guys we love. And we try to find those types of individuals or those types of stories to exploit, because that's what people like. And we, want one, want to not only be informative, but we also want to entertain as well, which is what we're doing with the book. So it's enjoyable. You get to read about Billy the Kid and Davy Crockett, all these guys, everybody knows. Those are the types of stories Bill and I try to focus on and exploit.
2: More people probably know when Billy the Kid lived, when Jesse James lived, but can they tell you who the U.S. presidents were at the time? Yeah.
0: Not even close. So (laughs) you really have a kind of a Wild West debate team approach to this. Totally. That's an excellent way to put it. It's a debate team. It's
1: good natured, but we dig our heels in and, and we go toe to toe. There's plenty of
2: research to support either side of the story, and that's what we do. We throw that in there so people can go look at our sources and come up with their own opinions.
0: The problem that always arises on debate teams is there's one side that everybody wants to be on. To take the opposing non-societal side, to take the non-appealing side is difficult. It makes it harder to work that side because your views are opposite to what you have to defend. Do you guys find yourself running into that? If you have to take the hero side of Jesse James, is that harder than taking the outlaw side?
1: Oh, yeah, that's the worst. It's a coin flip on a couple of them. Some of them were like, okay, we got this one. I'm glad you mentioned Jesse James because we cover Jesse James in Standoff at High Noon. But what we cover in that one is did he die when they say he did or did he live beyond that, which is the conspiracy theory. And we also covered the same thing with Billy the Kid in the original Old West Showdown. Did Pat Garrett put him in the ground or did he live into old age and was brushy Bill Roberts or one of the other myriad of aliases that are out there? So, yeah, those are coin flips because it gets into the conspiracy (laughs) of things. And so, yeah, sometimes we are focused and Bill feels absolutely one way about one and that's the one he's going to defend. And I feel absolutely the other way. And we actually just do come to loggerheads. But other ones, we had to decide, OK, you get to take the fringe view <laughs> and 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 you'll get the other more mainstream view.
2: Yeah, we had to do some. If I do this side for you... I take the side that's not popular, then I get to do this other side that I really want to do. So there's a lot of horse trading in this.
0: And conspiracy theories are your friends.
2: Oh, yeah, (laughs) true. And the thing is that the more you research some of them, if you're of the opposite persuasion, you can find enough facts to go, maybe it did happen this way.
0: And every American loves a good conspiracy theory. Of course. Just look at where (laughs) we are today. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Hasn't changed much. no. Sometimes it's real easy with somebody like Jesse James or Billy the Kid to take those opposing views because they are really diametrically opposed. One, he's a murderous sociopathic outlaw. And the other side, he's just a poor misunderstood child who Mm. got bad breaks. But when you take a character like Buffalo Bill Cody or Calamity Jane, it really isn't are they good or bad? It's if they did the things they said they did. That's right. right. Are they full of it or did these things really happen or just slightly changed to make them good stories? I call this autobiographicalography, my life the way it should have been. <laughs> you go to the store and the clerk insults you and you get out to your car and you come up with the greatest comeback. And by the <laughs> time you get home and you're talking to your significant other, you actually said that to the clerk. Right? Autobiographicalography. That's, <Auto-bifictionalography>.
1: it. That's <laughs> it. It's interesting that you mentioned those two. We did cover both of those. Yep, absolutely. And when it comes to a guy like Buffalo Bill, you're talking about a man who was a frontiersman and then transitioned into being uh, a showman and what was easily one of the greatest careers as far as a showman goes and, and really the beginning of what we think of as celebrity today in the country and in the world. And he's at the forefront of that. To make it better, it's the Liberty Valance line right when fact becomes legend print the legend when there's kernels of truth and it gets surrounded by a legend print the legend because that's what everybody wants to hear so there's pieces of truth in what some of them say and then there's pieces of total fabrication and fiction surrounded by the people to make themselves look better and in bill's case he's trying to sell a show he's trying to sell a promotion
0: Right. So what works better? Yes, I delivered messages as a kid from one camp to another for the company that eventually became the Pony Express, or I actually rode for the Pony Express. That's true. He did ride for the Pony Express.
2: Well, yeah, and he, he, was, a, he was a great embellisher. So it's really hard to find out what is real and what might be fabricated, what might be blown up to be more than it actually was. That's with his case and also with Calamity Jane. She was creating the legend while she was still alive.
0: And it's all part of their personalities. They're larger than life. This is who they are. It's even hard to track down not just what are the falsehoods, but even the truths are hard to quantify when you really get down to it.
1: Yeah, really true. For somebody like Bill, not only did he embellish, but people around him embellished. So he had dime novels and nickel weeklies and things like that being produced in his lifetime, showing him as almost a superhero. It's all the stories around him and all the supporting stuff that he had very little to do with, but it's just produced around him. And then Bill makes a good point with Calamity. She talked while she was still alive. Building the legend, While you're still going.
2: In her defense, although I take the side of tearing her down in the book, she was a single woman. There was no social safety net at the time, so she had to do whatever she could to put food on the table. So she'd tell tall tales and she'd sell photographs of herself with her signature on and do whatever she could to make a go of it in the West.
0: It's interesting because we accept that with characters like Buffalo Bill and Calamity Jane because they are showpersons. That's what they do. They're entertaining us. But you get somebody like Wyatt Earp or Bat Masterson. Their reputation sometimes depends on the legends. So they cultivate them, even though they try to downplay them. They really do need those legends to make them who they are. Bat isn't in
2: these books, but another book I did that you'd mentioned earlier, he never downplayed any of the hype around him. New York newspaper said they had killed twenty two people and he never disputed that, although he may have killed two at the most. And somebody asked him why he didn't retract it, and he said it's not hurting anybody.
0: It's not hurting anybody and it makes me very fearsome when I'm <laughs> confronting somebody else. The knowledge he's killed twenty-two people already, you're gonna think twice before you draw down on him. If he's only killed two <laughs> maybe
2: <laughs> Makes for a stud of a it light element, huh helped his pharaoh game, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and Wyatt Earp was the same way, right, Bill? He had a fearsome reputation before he came to Tombstone, being in Dodge City and all of that. He's this lawman. He's this strong arm guy. But he hadn't really been in any real gunfights or really deadly encounters until Tombstone. But his reputation preceded him.
2: And so mentioning tombstone, that's the first chapter in our first book, Old West Showdown. And Kellen takes the herb side, and I take the Clint McLowry side. The Earp shot first.
1: <laughs> and point? No one can prove, of <laughs> course. So you can say whatever you want, but the herbs were the law, and the McLowrys were a bunch of cattle rustlers, and that's true. The
2: Clantons and the McClowries were peacefully getting ready to leave town when the Earps walked down and
1: pushed their buttons. You see lies, lies upon lies. Yeah, yeah. They were up just trouble. quietly minding their own business. right out of town. That's what they try and do. <laughs> yeah, cut and run. Yeah.
0: I didn't realize the Clanton and the McLaurys had a side, to be honest with you. But there you go, right?
1: Oh, boom. There you go. That's all you
0: need.
2: <laughs> well, if, if you go back and you read the inquest... There's a lot that says the herp side started shooting first, maybe starting with Doc Holliday.
0: That wouldn't be out of the character for Doc Holliday.
2: Exactly. I like Rod Tamanis' quote, another friend from Western writers, and he said, never take a drunken dentist to a gunfight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to win. Here's the thing. This is the Wild West. Certain rules of civilization don't apply here. Correct. And shooting first might be one of them. Correct. How do you want to win a gunfight? You want to shoot first. This is where we come up with these characters who we revere as lawmen. But that's a very fine line sometimes between lawman and outlaw. It's hard to distinguish. And sometimes they're both. If you believe most of the biographies of Wyatt, he might have been at very least a bouncer
1: in a brothel if not a pimp, before he came to be a lawman. And you can take a look at Bill Hickok. Did he kill somebody at the Pony Express station before becoming a lawman? You're right. It was the Wild West and there wasn't a lot of law. There wasn't a lot of order. And people killed each other over nonsense, over a card game, over someone smudged my boot, or you did me wrong at some point, or I think you're a cattle wrestler and therefore we're going to hang you. A lot of frontier justice going on. And, and some of the outlaws who escaped the East to get away from their reputation and came West ended up being lawmen because that was a job. That was a gig.
0: Right. They were wanted in one state for murder. Yep. But the next state yep. over, they're all of a sudden chasing murderers. Yep, that's it. And all of a sudden they got a tin tar. It's like it takes a thief to catch a thief. <laughs> in the Wild West, it sometimes took a bad guy to capture or at least control the other bad guys. And
1: that still can be true today. We'll hire computer hackers to track the hackers that we're trying to track down. They still do it today because they are inside the mind of the criminal. They know where they're going to go. They know what they're going to do. They know what they want to do.
0: What was your favorite of these controversies, Kellum? Which one did you like the most?
1: <laughs> Depending on the book, I got to say the first one, probably Urban McLowry's was a really good one. Bill and I had a lot of fun with that one. And then in the second book, for me, I'd say the Tom Horn one was really Mm. good.
0: How about you, Bill?
1: I would disagree with Kellen on that. (laughs) Uh,
2: Just to be funny. No, in the first book, I would say my favorite chapter was the Johnson County War. Kellen took the Cattle Baron side and I took the Rustler's side. That would take too long to get into it, but one of the fun things when doing my research, I went to Buffalo, Wyoming, and it was in that area that the Johnson County War took place. I went to the librarian there, and I said, I'm researching the Johnson County War. And she said, well, which side are you taking? And I said, the Rustler side. And she said, there are about five different sides to the story. So I thought that was funny. But that was fun to research. I drew this short draw with uh, Butch casting the Sundance Kid. Did they really die in Bolivia in the shootout? I thought, how am I going to do this? The more I researched it, the more I found it might not have been Butch and Sundance that were killed in that small town of San Vicente. It might have been two other guys. And that was really fun to research.
0: So your own opinion can change as you do this.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I really do now believe it was two other guys in that Butch and Sundance.
0: You guys are together. You're starting to talk about a subject. And now you're arguing with each other over it. And in the heat of the moment, you're saying things and you're carrying on, and the dispute is happening. How do you then objectively sit down and capture that on the page? Boy, that's a heck of a question.
2: <laughs> I think the only thing we've really argued over is who's going to take what side. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whose name's well, going to you know, go first we, on the book? No. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> yeah, we, we, when we
1: start coming up with ideas, we do. If you get that one, then I get this one. And then there's quibbling. Yeah back and forth there. And so that's where a lot of the early arguments start. But with some of them, because we're not wet behind the ears when it comes to the Old West and a lot of these topics, so we already have a feeling going in. And in some cases, like Buffalo Bill and for me, and with Bill, Calamity Jane, Deadwood in that area, Wild Bill Hickok, we already have a dog in the fight. And so we're going to say we want that one and and then we'll quibble that way. But then we see so you get this one, I get that one. And that's where we hit the heads, really, in the beginning.
2: We've actually helped each other out. My research, I might find something that helps Kellen's side. I'll give it to him. And the same with him. And what we really want to portray is to let people know it's monoculture here, that there are various sides to some of these stories. And some people really believe some of the stuff that's out there. And so we present that information and we give our sources so people can do their own research and come up with their own opinions on these things. I think we're unique in this in that any book that you read out there, somebody is already predisposed to what position they're going to take. We give people two conflicting opinions here in these two books.
0: I've always found that truth is a movable point. It all depends on perspective. And I think that's very true in some of the characters that you guys have discussed and taken different sides on.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, the one of these that was very difficult for me was uh, I drew the short straw what was their cannibalism with the Donner Party. <laughs> mm. And the more y- you dig into the story, the more you research it. Yes, there was cannibalism, but not to the extent newspapers and and other documents hyped it up to be. And we went back and forth on that.
0: I just recently did some research for an episode on Don Coldsmith and his Spanish Bits series. And there's an anecdote where he is at the historic Donner Pass area doing some research. And there's the Donner Pass Cafe. And his question was, I wonder what the blue plate special is. (laughs)
1: that's the same in university of colorado has the alfred packer grill for the students go to get their lunches you wonder what's on the plates right yeah and it comes back to the hype right so much of it is they all ate each other no that's not true and actually the majority of the cannibalism that was done by the children to try and keep them alive to try and sustain them because they clearly were more fragile than some of the adults and that's one of the things that you don't see as much talked about with the donors and the common knowledge of the event.
0: Yes, but the children were also quite a bit more tender when it
1: came oh, to the pot. Oh, 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 oh! <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh.
0: That's Just where these a- controversies go sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just to elevate things a little bit, (laughs) our our good friend Terry Albany, who's with Western Writers of America, wrote The Donner Party Cookbook, which has been banned in several libraries. But in that, he tells the Donner Party story. And at the end of each chapter, he has a recipe that was current at the time for
1: various stews and that sort of thing.
0: Oh boy, yum. I'm ready to go to lunch now.
1: Um, sweetbreads. Always remember the sweetbreads are the best. The sweetbreads.
0: <laughs> Most of the controversies that you've been dealing with, and rightfully so, are ones that are pretty well known, at least to the majority of Western fans. Have you come across lesser known controversies that you have either shared in your books or are planning on sharing at some point?
2: Yeah, I think there's some things that people may not know. For instance, there's two controversial stories on when and where Sacagawea died. There's controversy over the killing of Crazy Horse and who wanted him dead. Sitting Bull has two graves. So these are, I think, probably maybe lesser known stories, but very interesting, and create controversy among the people that dig into those subjects.
0: And I think it becomes very much a niche interest at that point. But I think what you guys do so well is make it accessible for the everyman. Oh, I didn't know that. This is really interesting. I need to look at both sides.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think that's the strength of the books, definitely. And those lesser known ones, like with Sackage that's not a big controversy. Did Billy the Kid die, or did he live the old age? That, that a lot of people are aware of. But we surround those with those kind of stories. So you get those lesser known ones, you might have bought the book to see the well known one of the herbs, you know, was Crockett executed? Or did he die till his last breath? And then you'll find these other ones that are really interesting in there as well that we put in like the Johnson County War, and that kind of stuff.
0: Why do we as a society have a tendency to turn these characters into who we want them to be as opposed to who they are?
1: Like I say in the beginning, especially in America, we love our outlaws. We love our gangsters. We want them to be Robin Hood. We want them to be the hero, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. We want to lionize them because we love their story so much. We love the myth so much. We want it to be true part of our genes, part of who
2: we are, where we came from. Probably most everybody in America has escaped from another country or brought here for one reason or another. We're all misfits. People here aren't kings and lords and that sort of thing. We're common people. And I think it goes back to, like Kellen said, we need our Robin Hoods and that sort of thing.
0: The outlaws, like Jesse James, know this. And Jesse James wanted to put himself out there as the Robin Hood of the West, except he forgot the part about giving back to the poor. (laughs) He got the part about taking from the rich, but the rest of it was just went by the wayside. But this is how he built his reputation. Look, I'm stealing from the rich. I'm stealing from the people who are oppressors.
1: He also stole (laughs) from the poor as well, too. He he took payrolls (laughs) and things like that. It was a situational thing. He would
2: rob, say, a train or something like that. But then when they were making their getaway, they'd stop at a cottage for a meal. They'd pay the people for what they ate, that sort of thing.
0: And the legend grows out of that. And it was interesting to me, especially with Jesse James, that he was so intent on his reputation, he actually had a tame newspaper reporter who he would get to write the articles the way he wanted them written. So he felt his story was going to get out there. It's like an Old West spin doctor. Yeah. Whatever you do that's wrong, your spin doctor is going to turn it into something that's good. And really, this is an ancient art.
2: Or deny that you were involved in a particular robbery.
0: If you say it long enough and loud enough, it has to be true, right? Yep. (laughs) Where do you guys go from here? You've got these two wonderful books out as well as your own works. Is there going to be another showdown on the horizon?
1: We're hoping if this one does well enough, then we'll get a third one, I think, is the way it's looking. Bill and I are hoping. We won't know until we get our royalty statements back, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've already, what the next chapters would possibly be. Yep, yep. I think we've hit 10 ideas for what the next book would be, so we'll see. We have it in the hopper for sure. We'd love to, to keep it going.
0: So what is your writing process like? After you've discussed this, do you just both go off to your neutral corners and sit down and write the chapters and then send them back to each other?
2: Pretty much. Each chapter is divided into three sections. The first section is called Just the Facts. And we present the story in a way that most historians believe things actually happened, bringing it up to what might be the controversial event. And then Kellen will tell one side of that story and I'll tell the other side. And again, just about every paragraph has endnotes. We have extensive bibliography. So, again, people can check our
1: sources and do further research if they want. Bill forgot to mention, he'll write the lie and I'll write the truth. And then that's, <laughs> how, the, oh, here we that's go. how the chapter <laughs> hashes yeah. out. So. But yeah, yeah Bill, Bill yeah. and I, Bill lives in South Dakota. And I live in Colorado, so we can't meet somewhere to talk. So a lot of our conversations happen via email, back and forth. And then Bill start working on one, and I'll start working on one, but it may not be the same chapter. Bill say, this one's really easy for me to do, so I'll take the Bill Hickok piece. And I'll say, this one's really easy for me to do, and so I'll take the Buffalo Bill one. And we normally grab the low-hanging fruit, and then we get to the ones that are really hard to hash out.
2: And I would say if you wanted an example, probably the most, I think, interesting and difficult one for both of us, hopefully Kellen will agree on this one, was the Tom Horn murder Willie Nickel, or was it somebody else? uh, Yeah, that was my favorite. Yeah, I think that was very interesting because we got to go back and look at the transcripts from the testimony of everybody and that was a tough one.
1: Well, and, and everything happened afterwards, too, because oh. you had witnesses who said they saw Tom Horn the, when he was supposedly killing Willie Nickel, And they got were liars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They got their reputation run through the mud by prosecuting attorneys. And then afterwards, they said, no, we were wrong. And they, she didn't have an affair with Tom Horn or anything like that. They didn't even know each other. But she said she saw him and had no reason to lie and all these sort of things. And that one was really good. That was my favorite. And that's one I mentioned earlier, too, when you asked us what was our favorite stories. That one was my favorite. That was really good to really dig into because, man, that one was really controversial when you get into it. Just being who Horn was to begin with and then what they executed him for, did he really do it? Now, he'd been responsible for other shootings and attacking suspected wrestlers and killings. But the one that they strung him up for, was it right? Was it true? Did he really do it? Or were they looking to get him because they wanted to break up the power of the big livestock, cattle kings? But he did admit in front of witnesses that he did do it. Yeah, he was known to to lie just to build his own reputation. But we can digress into this if you'd like.
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of the O.J. Simpson situation. He gets away with the murder, but this nickel and dime robbery in Nevada, they're going to give him the worst sentence possible, yep. not for the robbery, but for the murder. Yep, It's the way it appears in many instances.
1: That's excellent. I wish you were around when I was writing my end. That would have been a great example to put in because absolutely, <laughs> right? You're not getting him for this one. You're getting him for the ones that you think he got away with. And he also, and in Tom Horn's case... You don't like that he's a tool of the cattle barons. He's, he's a tool that is used by them because he's a stock detective. And so you can say, all right, these guys are cattle rustlers. We want you to find something on them or you we want you to approach them or we want you to use violence against them or whatever it is. And he certainly was the tool of the cattle barons. But did he kill Willie Nickel? And I say no. I think it's obvious. Nice theory, but he did say
2: out of his own lips that he did kill him. Of course, when he was
1: drunk, and, but that's, you know, and, and, he, and the only person they looked at was Tom Horn. The only person they didn't go anywhere else. They went directly after Tom Horn, liquored him up, and then got him to lie.
0: It sounds like you guys are having a tendency to really get along here and, and come to the same conclusion. It's got to be fascinating, though, as you dive into these things, because there's this preconceived notion that the public has that's been around for a long time that's supposed to be the truth. And then as you start to dig into these and you're finding out all of this other conflicting information, does it change your opinions of what went on?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You really got to be careful of your sources. You got to try to look as many multiple sources as you can to try to come up with how did this really happen or not? It can be tough.
1: It's not a simple research project if you want to do it right. When you focus on a project, it's easy to find lots of resources that just back you up. But it's the real research that you do when you cross the lines and look at all the aspects. And then you have to try and put that in to one of the chapter in which you are working. So it is difficult. And you can get swayed one way or the other. You'll go into one thing saying, oh man, I can't believe I got this one. And then when you start looking at it, you realize, oh man, I'm so glad I got this one because I've got another winner here. you do a lot of winning <laughs> in these books. It's true. I, I'm not going to lie there. But yeah, you totally get swayed by what you read and what you see.
2: And one of the things too is, is that some of these positions that we take that we might not totally agree with, There are people out there that really do believe that particular position. And so you want to do them a service by presenting as well as you can the information that they believe to support their opinion.
0: Do you guys get argumentative fan mail?
1: What I do get, because I've written some other blogs and things like that people can find. And the one that comes up the most is Herbs and Clanton's and McLowry's. Man, that's the one that I get the most. It always comes down to Wyatt Earp. was he the bad guy or was he the, the noble wall man? I mean, that one, God, I get that so much.
0: That's probably the hottest button in the Wild West.
1: Yes. I would agree with you. Yes. I would agree too.
2: There you go. You got three of us agreeing. something's wrong
0: (laughs) okay on that note there's the clanging of the chuck wagon triangle guys telling me it's time for me to wrap up this episode thank you so much for being with me and talking about all of these controversies and i hope we get to do it again
2: thank you it was fun
1: yeah i had a blast
0: Thanks to Mike Bray and Wolfpack Publishing for being the podcast's premier sponsor. Thanks also to Roundup Magazine and Saddlebag Dispatches for their support in promoting our podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider making a small monthly or one-time donation using the button at the top of the Six Gun Justice website to help keep the show moseying along. Donations are appreciated, but clearly not expected or necessary. We're grateful for all our listeners and truly happy to have you along with us sharing this trail ride. Thanks for listening. Until we meet again, be kind to each other, be kind to yourselves, and always count your blessings. Adios for now. I'm out of here. Let's ride.